Shumai, welcome back to another episode of H-Hour. We are on number 69 today, number 69. Don't forget, you can also watch this podcast on YouTube. Just search for H-Hour Podcast on YouTube and you will find my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful faces on YouTube. You can watch us, not just listen, you lucky devils. You can support me on and support the podcast on patreon.com forward slash HR as well. That would uh, be very much appreciated. Patreon, P A T R E O N dot com forward slash HR. You get special perks. My Patreon supporters, they get to listen to the podcast before anyone else does. So they have listened to this podcast before you were listening to it. Unless, of course, you're a Patreon supporter, in which case you were listening to this podcast before everyone else. Sweet. Thank you to the sponsors of the podcast today Westway Nissan. Right now, I've got my car in, I'm having some work done with Westway, and in return, they've given me a Nissan Leaf as a courtesy car. Now, I was sceptical. I was sceptical, because Nissan Leaf, as you know, is an electric car. Fully electric, it's not hybrid, it is fully electric. And when I think, or when I used to think fully electric, I used to think, oh God, oh no. Like, no power, a little bit camp, if I can say that. Sorry, Westway, if I can't, but I said it. It is not. Electric cars are intriguing. The first thing I notice when you get in is when you put your foot on the accelerator to move, there's no lag. It's immediately, it's like immediate response and you put your foot down. It's like off the mark. You've got to, it takes some getting used to because you're basically getting off the mark quicker than anyone else. Because uh, you haven't got to wait for the fuel to get round and mix with the air and get into the pistons and cylinders and not into the pistons, into the cylinders and go bang and it's electric. So shit just happens. Like when you like when you flick the switch and your light switch and the light just comes on. When you put your foot in that accelerator, the power just goes. Tell you what else? Interesting one for the winter. You get in the car, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for the engine to warm up to get hot air through. So you don't have to use the air con because it's electric. It just comes hot air straight away because it's, it's, it's electric. The engine doesn't have to get warm because they ain't got to flip an engine. Really enjoying it. I am mostly enjoying the fact that my fuel costs are down but depending where i fill up with electricity like a, a home when i plug it in at home the car in at home or if i plug it in a, a service station um i'm saving anywhere between 80 oh, sorry anywhere between 60 and 80 percent fuel costs my fuel costs are 20 30 40 percent of what they have been i almost don't want to give the car back i might just keep it i suffer the consequences sorry westway thank you to them they are the uk's largest nissan dealership Aside from having, obviously, the Nissan Leaf, the awesome electric car, and uh, a bunch of other vehicles, uh, they, they do private and commercial vehicles, not just uh, not just Nissan Leafs. And they also do, not just purchase, they do hire as well, lease hire as well. But most significantly, especially relevant to this podcast, and most of my listeners are ex-military or serving military, West Nissan give up to a 20% discount off new and used vehicles when you go and buy from them if you are a veteran or a serving person regardless of the service you're with RAF, Navy or Army so get on to westwaynissan.co.uk or westwaynissan on social media they're really responsive on social media actually drop them a message drop, tweet them tweet them and, I, and they will probably tweet you back which is nice you don't get that often from big uh, big organisations like Westway so Westway Nissan thank you to them for sponsoring us today also supporting the podcast today is Rugby for Heroes. Rugby for Heroes is an organisation, a uh, not-for-profit organisation, founded by keen 
rugby and beer drinkers, rugby players and beer drinkers, not rugby drinkers, out of uh, Old Leventonia's RSC in uh, Warwickshire, beautiful Warwickshire. Um, rugby for Heroes was formed in memory of Private Joe Whitaker, who was sadly killed in Afghanistan, serving with the Parachute Regiment. And since Rugby for Heroes was founded, they in 10 years, over just over 10 years, they raised in excess of £100,000. Their most recent event was a supper club at the Tame Hare restaurant in Leamington Spa and they raised over £4,000 for charity. Their next event is an invitational rugby match on the 23rd of November in, at the Old Leventonians RSC. I'll be playing. Please come along support that event. It's going to be fucking awesome. Loads of ex-podcast guests, uh, ex-military and uh, civilians and families going to be there and it's going to be a really good day. They've also got another separate club happening next year on the 20... Oh, let's think of this so Mike doesn't murder me. 27th of March, again in the Tame Hare in Lemon Spa. It's going to be amazing. The Tame Hare does amazing food. Mike Valance and Rugby Heroes are amazing hosts of the event. And uh, this time it's going to be raising money for 353 Charity and also Team Rubicon UK. The money that they raise will be split equally between the two. I can't wait for that event. I can't wait for the rugby on the 23rd of November. I also can't wait for the next Beer Engine Festival, which is on the... Get with it, Hugh. 8th and 9th of... Hmm. 8th and 9th of May. Of course it's May. 8th and 9th of May, 2020. Those three dates. But, so the nearest one is 23rd November. Get your asses to Old Lemon, Tony and Rugby Football Club. I will see you there. If you come on and say, I come here because I heard you on the podcast talking, I'll buy you a beer. Unless you're on the team, in which case you're bluffing it because you're coming anyway. Thank you to Rugby Heroes for all the amazing work they do. RugbyFORHeroes.org or on social media, it's Rugby Number 4 Heroes. Cheers, fellas. Uh, I think that's it. Oh, no, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who, who was doing the Shaka for Chris. Uh, Chris Shirley, previous podcast guest, ex-Royal Marine officer, and uh, founder of the Hiatus Foundation and the Speaker Series Tales of Adventure. He had a nasty accident in um, in Italy, a mountaineering accident. He is on his way to recovery. He's been getting shown the Shaka for Chris videos. He's been getting shown the pictures. He's been getting shown the messages. It has been a huge... Uh, a huge thing for him to see that and the encouragement he got from that in uh, in starting his recovery from those uh, injuries he's got and so thank you thank you to everyone it was also meant a great deal to his friends and family and myself included uh so thank you thank you thank you and if you've got a shaka left in you then then still do it shaka for chris good luck chris uh i love you and we will see you soon maybe even for another podcast i don't know we'll have to see on to the podcast, my guest today is Huey Morgan, Puerto Rican born. Well, New York born, man. I wasn't hey, you can't Puerto... interrupt. You, you can't interrupt the intro. But if it's wrong, <laughs> I'm from New no, York. No one interrupts the intro. He's Sorry. from New York. Sorry, dude. <laughs> You're fucking wrong. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's whatever you said, New York, yeah, uh, ex-US Marine and um, lead singer, guitarist. Fun loving criminals, an yeah. absolute fucking gent. Oh, thank you, Hugh. Onto the podcast. Enjoy this one. You've already heard it off it because he's interrupting it. First cassette to do it. Uh, H hour with uh, Huey motherfucking Morgan. <laughs> like you dude I, I want you to keep doing what you're doing i don't want you to stop doing what you're doing quite the opposite right we are uh yeah fuck it we're on that's re- 
All right, yeah. I that's can on. Hear. That's recording. I can hear me. We're recording there. You, you, you want to um, sound that in front of your mic? Yeah, a little bit you closer. You know this. You know this I know shit this, but in. usually hot mics, you know, I try to keep it back a little bit. Oh, right, there we go. Oh, I'll, leave you, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it to you. you know, I've been you. doing this a while. I know my voice projects. <laughs> my shit projects. Um, <laughs> congratulations on surviving the Extinction Rebellion trip across town. Yeah, I was I was really surprised how uh, how scared the police were. It was really funny. Like, they're all hiding around a corner near the BBC. Like, literally hiding around the corner and all this stuff's happening around the corner. I was like, guys, come on. Why do you think that is? Well, because they don't want to get in trouble. Everybody's got a camera phone now. Exactly. So if someone says something like, F you, and then they film after that said, you know. Yeah, but you know we got to thank for that culture, didn't you? Mm-hmm. America, mate. America, but you're well, all right, because you're Puerto Rican. No, no I'm, I'm also from New York. That's the island next to America, which is really important <laughs> to recognize. Have you been to New York? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you've been to the rest of America? Yeah. It's completely no, no, different. No, no, I haven't. I've, oh. been, I've done New York. Yeah, well, if you go across the Hudson River, it's all bets are off. It's completely different. No one has a worldview. Everybody's really concerned about nothing in particular, or about, you know, it's, it's really different. You mean if you go off Manhattan? Yeah. Well, Manhattan. out of New York City, really. Yeah. I went, out, people... I went out of there to go to a shopping center. Oh, really? We're I mean, Paramus, uh, New Jersey. Yeah, I was married at the time. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, man. Yeah. Mate, funny enough, uh, just by coincidence, I met up with a guy earlier, um, literally just before this, and he's a, he's, a, he's a friend of a friend, so i got a mate who's just, in fact, the mate just had a mountaineering accident. He's oh, a shit. British Royal Marine. Oh, really? He was okay. a British Royal Marine, yeah. so obviously you were, you were a US Marine, yeah. so he's a British Royal Marine. Um... And this lad was wanted me up with me and just and just chinwag. And he 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 was working. He was ex RAF, RAF regiment, which yeah. is I don't know if you know anything about that. Yeah, I do. I know okay, a friend cool. who's in that. Yeah. So uh, and he was working on the Mert teams in Afghan in oh oh nine no eleven twelve and then another company the other year. But the last job he was doing with the Mert teams, he was he was. Uh, Looking after the U.S. Marines. Oh yeah, um, we need looking after. That's yeah, he's looking at, well, I say looking at. He wasn't yeah. looking at. He was patching patch you up, getting mm-hmm. you guys out. It's. Uh, I said, "Fucking hell, I'm off to do a podcast with the U.S. Marine now." Yeah. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. An old me. ass U.S. Marine, yeah. though. You know, <laughs> I mean, all you young cats, you saw a lot, man. When did you get in? When did you? I, I went in late '80s and got out. You know, mid '90s, you know, early '90s, really. Yeah, it, it was one of those things where nothing really, nothing really clicked as far as like you know. Uh, like a big campaign kind of thing or a deployment and stuff like that. There's always little things here and there. But like for the most part, I don't really talk about what I did in the Marines because when I do music and stuff and I'm on the radio and things, it seems to me, and you probably run across this when you talk to civilians, and I still think of myself as a non-civilian, right? But when you talk to civilians, it, it's, it's, it, 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 once they get past the astonishment that you actually wasted time wearing a uniform and doing dumb shit that we did, right? They always kind of go, I just would, I don't understand it. So a lot of times I just don't talk about it. Because it seems, it, it, a lot of times, especially lately, a lot of times people, you know, they ask the question, have you killed anybody? Because oh, that's the thing everybody wants to know. And it seems kind of, that doesn't really define wearing a uniform for your country, does it? And it seems like it almost, it, it almost diminishes the whole, the whole vocation, you know what I'm saying? Where it's just about that. Because most people don't really understand it's about a lot of other stuff. That's interesting, yeah, it's interesting. So I, <clears throat> I agree, a, a million people listen now. Not a million, not that a million people listen, but I, I agree too. I know what you're saying. I can have, like, I can, I don't exactly like you. I don't like conversing with civvies, and it's mm. not because I don't like. I'm proud of what I did, much like you're probably proud of what you mm. did. But you, there's a there's a lack of understanding there. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you can say, you know, well, oh, I was in yeah. Afghan, or I was, or even just talking about training, mate. Mm-hmm. And they got a clue. They don't. Yeah. Like, they don't. Why, why would you do that? And <laughs> yeah. Difficult to describe, right? Then you stick. I mean, for you, Huey, you stick another U.S. Marine in front of you. 
all bets are off. You mm. were talking till the flipping sun comes up. Oh yeah, this a, you know, is is in understandings is it, it's a different. Co- it's, mm. it's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. But since what, I moved over here, though, what's interesting as well is that I, I talk to guys that are Royal Marines. I talk to guys, a friend who's in the RAF, RAF regiment, and it seems like we do have a lot in common, more so than I would with another countryman of mine who didn't serve in their in their military, which is really unique. I think it's like a brotherhood around the world of people who served on a certain side, like we say the Western forces and things like that. But, you know, for instance, if you were in a staging area in you know northern Saudi Arabia in 1991, there was French Foreign Legion, there was USMC, there was Army Rangers, there was you guys. I mean, there was everything. And I remember one of the funny things about that was my love for Pernod, which is a, a French <laughs> shitty liquor. <laughs> and... And it is shitty, yeah. yeah the, you let yourself down you, mate. Oh, man, but it's the only <laughs> thing you could get, right? And... <laughs> A lot of them French dudes loved Ritz crackers and and uh, peanut butter, because a lot of those French Foreign Legion dudes were not French. A lot of them were Americans. They were on some drug shit and ended up going to Marseille and just going in that door. So a lot of those dudes, oh, I'd do anything for some peanut butter. We we're like, yo, you got some liquor? You know that would work. <laughs> but I, I, I used to drink that shit all the time. And my wife, she's like, yo, that stuff is terrible. I'm gonna kiss you after drinking that. I go, why? Does it taste terrible? She goes, no, you act like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, flip my neck. Yeah. Um, what was I going to ask you then? What was I going to ask you? I tell you one of the one of I've not had a chance to speak to uh, anyone who served the American forces mm-hmm. ever like mm-hmm. this, right? So I'm going to yeah, yeah, yeah. you're going to get battered now with, mate, with the right? best of my recollection because it was 30 <laughs> years ago, man. All right, let's make sure. Uh, yeah, look, okay, yeah, it's a podcast, right? That's what people do, right? <laughs> right. So and I'm not alone in thinking this, mm-hmm. and I'm really interested in your perspective as someone who served in the U.S. Marines and has now lived in the U.K. for yeah. how many years? About 10 years now. 11, okay. going on 11. Okay, there we go. Cool. So one of the one of the biggest contrasts that I see and many uh, military in the UK and civvies see between the UK and the US is the perceived massive support of military veterans in the US mm-hmm. compared to the UK and the way it's yeah. demonstrated, everything from when they're at ball games to mm-hmm. when you're um, you know, a veterans days and, and mm-hmm. things like that. What What's your opinion on that mm-hmm. is it oh is that an accurate view it, on it well I, I talked to a lot of guys that were in the services here in the uk right <clears throat> and it's like oh i wish people in the uk would be as understanding as open-minded as a lot of the people in the united states are to to uh, supporting troops because you see that support the troops and those yellow ribbons and things in my personal opinion i think uh i think less than zero point five percent of the population in america has ever served and their families equal something like three percent of that so you have 95 percent of the population in america who has no direct connection to anybody who's in the forces right now right i mean it's 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 kind of in your face because the united states does do a lot of police action kind of stuff and you know with afghanistan and iraq and all that kind of things it was it was really on people's minds. And you mean the foreign policy? Yeah, the foreign policy that, 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 that led to a lot of people being deployed and things, right? So I think the interesting thing is to see that most people, and, and I don't want to say that it's patronizing, but in a lot of ways, people feel that it's the right thing to do to support the troops, which I, as a troop, <laughs> you know, as a Marine, I think that's great. I think a lot of it's lip service, though, I think you get, just because it's a bigger country, the 330 million people, and I think in the history of the United States, there have been maybe 4 million Marines <laughs> in the history of it since 1776. So 
I, I think being a Marine is a very small part of the United States Armed Forces, right? And I've always, when I was wearing the uniform, I'd always, people were always really nice, right? They were always really nice about it. Like, hey, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing. And I think that's kind of cool, but a lot of times, I don't mean to say I didn't do it for them, but I didn't do it for them. I did it for me, you know? And I think what I feel about what I did is a lot different from what other people feel when they see what I did. You know what I mean? Yeah, again, it's that perception thing. Yeah, right? it, is, it is perception. That's nine-tenths of it a lot of times. I think what goes on in the UK, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm probably wrong in this, in my, in my opinion, I think a lot of people are confusing the people that carry out foreign policy with foreign policy. So when you have troops that go and do things, people say, well, you know, it's, you know they shouldn't be doing stuff like that. So there's a negativity towards the actual armed services. When it should be the politicians that are sending these people there are the ones that should be getting the static, I think. And I think what we do is we try to lump things together because, you know, we're in a very ADD kind of society. If it doesn't fit in a nice, neat little box, we tend to kind of just glance over it. And you can't put, you know, foreign policy in the last 50 years of, you know, warring around the world into a neat little box. So it does kind of overflow. And that overflow is what you see when you see people kind of um, being really patronizing about things in America. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot. <clears throat> yeah, I think with uh, UK wise, with that confusing foreign policy with mm-hmm. the guy out, there is a little bit of carryover, maybe in in that uh, negative perception of the armed mm-hmm. forces or mm-hmm. attitude towards it. I think, but I don't think it's I don't think it's that bad. I think it's I think it's I think it's just more just a case of historically in country, it's not been a case where soldiers have. Uh, should you say soldiers, soldiers, Navy, Evermen, have, have yeah. been cut about in uniform, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. Because, I mean, you think back to the 60s and 70s and 80s here mm-hmm. in the UK, man, you didn't go out in uniform. Oh, yeah, yeah. You couldn't do it for mm-hmm. security reasons. In the UK, in your own country, man. <laughs> in your own country, you just mm-hmm. couldn't do it. And that was that carried on right up until, flipping it, the late noughties. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, late into my career, late noughties, even then. Because it, the, the, threat was, the threat was still high of getting lynched. And it, tra- and it, and, and it moved from being a Northern Ireland problem yeah. to that's still been a little bit, but then more as much being a, a problem around um, Islamic extremism. Yeah. Well, you, I, did, so. I, I saw that thing that happened with those guys that got attacked outside their barracks and shit. That's fucking savage shit. I mean, the guy got his head cut off. It's fucking crazy. The guy got his head cut off. I, I mean, I remember, I remember just thinking to myself, what in the fuck kind of place is this where the people... I get a little heated when it comes to that, right? And I know that we have a camera and we're recording this shit. Sorry. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to say something I'll regret, but I don't think I will. I I think a lot of times, and you know, this may this may be dating me, right? But I remember the generation before I went into the service was the Vietnam generation, right? And my father was a Marine in Vietnam. And and he didn't make it out of Vietnam, right? So I had a really unique perspective for that. And, you know, like I said, I don't really talk about my personal life too much, but that led me on a road that was ultimately going to make me a Marine or die trying, right? So when I was talking about I did it for my own reasons, I did. But there's there's also a sense of when you're, when you, when you make that commitment to your country, right, you shouldn't be afraid being in your own country while you're making that commitment. That's what I found really completely, like, diametrically opposed to my beliefs i was like this is crazy yeah what what, what here or there? well the thing that i heard about those guys just get get attacked right outside their barracks and the guy oh, was yeah. heck, i mean it's just like what the hell's going on and then you hear 
People saying, hey, maybe you shouldn't wear a uniform. How about this? We can keep those fucking guys off the streets. Maybe that would be a great way to start, you know? And yeah. I think we, we go about the problems the wrong way here, more reactionary, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's, he actually speaks volumes there. We're talking about it in terms of how, how far apart two countries can be in terms mm. of perception, security, surroundings, culture. Mm. And I'm talking about the USA mm. and the UK. Mm. And that could be said for any country in Europe because... I mean, the USA is massive. It's just like you're there. Who's gonna Who's gonna fuck with the USA, man? Right? It's very <laughs> just geographically yeah, strategically well, brilliant. Well, that was right. a great. That was a great idea up until nine eleven, and then it was like, and then you know, you see how that thing just kind of turned out to be completely bananas as well. Yeah, yeah. We could we could go down a rabbit hole here. Oh shit! Yes, not. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not. Um, tell me, mate. When did you start your U.S. Marines training. Can you tell me the process you went through to join up? Well, yeah, there was a lot leading up to me getting uh, to enlisting, right? And a lot of it was me getting in trouble as a kid, right? And I think I, when I mentioned before about my father, when you just have an idea of someone, you don't know them, right? But you know certain things about them. And one of the things was the, the armed services. I felt that I had to kind of surpass what I thought he would be. And there's, there's really no way to do that as a young man. I have a son who's eight, right? And I was about... Uh, I was about trying to be the best dad I could be for him, give him something to build a foundation on, right? I didn't have any of that, so I was kind of going off, doing my own thing, and getting in a lot of trouble doing it. But I think in the back of my mind, I always knew I was going to end up in the Marine Corps, right? So I knew that things could get to a certain point, and I could kind of like, you know, run in that little door and get in there. But when I first when I first went down to boot camp, I was completely unprepared for it. The night before I went, I watched Full Metal Jacket. Right? So, <laughs> Basics. Yeah, yeah. Basics. You know, I'm just like, what are you getting yourself into, man? So I watched Full Metal Jacket. I was like, well, I hope I never get to 3rd Battalion because they're the fucking wild ones out there. Because they called it, they, they were singing the Mickey Mouse theme because on Paris Island, there's 1st Battalion, 2nd Battalion, and and the rest of the, 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 the camp, because the Marines have camps, right, around that area where the PX is and the Chow Hall and all that kind of shit. Then off in the freaking swamps was the third battalion right. and they used to call it Disneyland because in Disneyland Mickey Mouse <laughs> yeah, yeah, right in Disneyland that. anything could happen right because you were I mean traditionally that was where all the crazy DIs were because there weren't officers looking at you and there weren't people like watching you do what DIs, you're doing DIs? drill instructors yeah yeah drill instructors yeah and you know so when I, of course, when I got in, you know, the minute the minute I got there, they were like, okay, where's third battalion? I was like, no, I'm not third battalion. I was sitting over here. And they, they called me and I was like, oh, man, here we go. I just watched this movie. It's fresh in my mind, right? I was expecting Arlie Emery to show up, right? And, uh, you know, you go in there and, and you- He was the DI. Yeah, he was the dude right who was- who He was, was the, an actual drill instructor, wasn't he? Yeah, I think he was a gunny, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah he was yeah. an actual gunny, but yeah, he yeah. passed away recently. But, you know, that dude, yeah. I mean, just that- that accent, you know, you're like, and I'm from New York City, right? So I never really traveled outside of New York City before. Next thing I know, I'm down in Beaufort, South Carolina. The world's different. It smells different. It's hot. It's April. It's like fucking hot. Everything's going ass backwards. I know that I'm better off here than where I would have been up in New York. So I'm kind of rolling with it. And I remember the first thing I realized is that they don't like what they call Yankees, right? And that's anybody born in the North. And they really fucking hate New Yorkers, right? So there was me and this kid, Alfred Molina. We were M, M-O, Morgan Molina. So we were always next to each other like, these fucking yeah, these, these Southern boys are just out there goddamn minds. So that cultural uh, disconnect was really manifested in the first couple weeks of boot camp when you get dropped in your platoon. And then I guess the the psychology of... of bring in a platoon together and making Marines is that you 
you gotta you gotta separate you know, people from other people based on something that can't be racial or well yeah it can't be racial or and I was gonna say sexual but there's only men in the Marine Corps when I was there they're women Marines but it was a different thing I didn't go there but you couldn't do that because we were either dark green or light green there was literally that, that was that was not a thing in the Marines which I thought was really cool there wasn't a real ingrained racist kind of thing because you figure you're down south you're always looking out for that shit. So what they do is they break you out uh, geographically. So all the, all the Yankees, I mean, first of all, I had an earring that got yanked out first day I was down. I mean, it was, I went through some shit. And it was, I, you know, I was kind of rolling with it because I was like, well, they, they can't really kill me, can they? Well, the thing is, they can make you feel like you're dying, right? So, you know, what we have in the in the Marine Corps is it's, the naval traditions allow us to have a quarter deck. And I don't know if you guys ever had that. That was an area in the squad bay where they take you and they just say, make a puddle. And, you know, it was dry. So you're like, what the fuck does make a puddle mean? And you just start doing push-ups. And you figure you're doing 20 and you're getting up, dropping every 20. No, you're there for like seven, 10 minutes. And you're just gunning them out. And I'm a young kid gunning them. I can do this. And there's fucking sweat coming off me. And there's a puddle eventually at the end of it. <laughs> so all Yankees make a puddle. It's like, oh, shit. And I wear that Yankee head proudly now because I earned it, right? So <laughs> down in down boot camp, they, that's what they try to do. So they kind of beat me down with that. And then I realized that, you know, you you know, you kind of think why they're doing this. You should kind of put it all together in your own mind, but you really have no idea until you graduate. And then they realize, oh, you didn't want me, you didn't want me to be the weak link. And then you realize what it's all about. And then you become a Marine. And then you're part of that brotherhood. And it moves from there. But that the first initial, oh, what the fuck are we doing down here thing was crazy. And also 3rd Battalion, they have this thing called sand fleas down in North Carolina, South Carolina. And there are these little fleas that come up and bite you, and they're really terrible. And they have these sandboxes, these huge fucking sandboxes on Paris Island, right? And they stand everybody in the platoon in your underwear in the middle of the night, and these things are biting on you. And you're looking at the drill instructors, and there's like a, a halo of no bugs around them. Like you could look at them, it's just no bugs. It bugs everybody, but they're not. You're like, what the hell is this all about? And also, they smell like prostitutes. You're like, what are these guys doing when they're not with me, right? And they're not beating the shit out of me. Why do they smell like hookers, man? Anyway, the minute you graduate, <laughs> they say, okay, Marine. You're like, what? And don't call me sir. I'm just a sergeant, all that kind of shit. And then they say, you got to go see the Avon lady. I'm like, what the fuck's the Avon lady? Like, the Avon lady, the skin's so soft. It's, it's, and we're like, what's that? You got Avon in the USA as well? Yeah, man. Avon you started Avon over there. Avon lady get everywhere, mate. Yo, Avon but, but lady. You got, no, skin's so soft, right? Yeah. Now, that shit is what every Marine puts on his bug spray. You smell like a prostitute, but no bugs bite you. <laughs> I, to this day, go on Amazon, get, get that shit. If you ever go where there are bugs, just spray that shit on you. They leave you alone. They give a little halo, a little aura zone of no bugs, man. Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to take that tip up. Oh, really, man? Yo, skin so soft. If I could leave anybody with an impression, just get your, get your skin so soft, man. Uh, right, so let's get it straight. Mm-hmm. You go to Depot. Uh, you go to USMC Trainer. You yeah. got a nickname for the... Marine training. Well, it's, it's Paris Island is where I went. Paris There's one Island. out on San Diego. They call them California Marines, they, Hollywood Marines. So with us, so with uh, anything in the British Army, really, you go to do a, you do a recruitment selection. Oh, you do your like aptitude test, medical yeah, yeah, test, yeah. and the thing. Then you the ASVAB, re- whatever, re- yeah. yeah. <laughs> recruitment selection test. Mm-hmm. Uh, recruitment selection, like day. D- fucking run in, press up. Oh, yeah, you got to do all that like shit that. before you actually go down. Like the, and, and the recruiters to, do that shit to you. And that's to see yeah. if you're going to get yeah. into training. Mm, maybe not. you should go to the Navy. What, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, did, uh, what did you guys do before that? Or did you just go straight to depot? Yeah, we just went running. I mean, you do a little stuff with your recruiter. A pre-selection? Not really. I mean, you have to do, uh, you have to do the... Uh, 
you have to do the test, the ASVAB, right? So you go in there, you do that, and if you do well... The mental test. Yeah, yeah the mental test, see if you're crazy or not. And if you're crazy, they're like, Marines, right? Yeah. So a lot of the dudes I was in the Marines with, I was like, how'd you do in the test? Like, I don't know, and they ate a pencil. You know, you're like, oh, shit, how did these guys get it? <laughs> but, but it takes all kinds to be Marines, right? You need a guy who's eating pencils and thinks it's good, you know? But yeah, you, you finish that up, and then you, when they drop you into your platoon... Those guys have their own. I mean, a lot of different drill instructors, senior drill instructors, have their own program. They have to go by a certain kind of curriculum. Curriculum, but a lot of times, like our guy, uh, my senior drill instructor was uh, a Marine that was in that Beirut bombing where they lost oh, like, 250 shit. Marines, oh, yeah. and he was like, "I'm not going to have any of these kids not being as tough as they possibly could." So he'd run us into the woods through all these brambles and stuff. I mean, he we'd come out just bloody. I mean, we'd wear like PT gear. We'd come out just be bleeding. Because he wanted us to be as tough as we possibly could. Because if we had to drag another Marine out of some shit, he didn't want us fucking that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. I, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. You don't want to be that. You don't want to be that that recruit. Well, that's, that that's the thing. You never want. And I guess it's probably the same with you guys, right? You don't want to be the guy that lets another guy down. And well, if you're a decent bloke, Huey. Yeah, I mean, well, if you've got any anything about you, well, yeah. you can you, like you can get dragged up through your, your childhood yeah as you did yeah. you can get dragged up mate or you can get silver spoon fed mm -hmm. but if within you you've got that good person honest i yeah. i've got empathy i i look mm -hmm. you know i can resonate with them and we've got an objective we want to achieve it you got a bit of motivation in you yeah, yeah. but everyone's equal you know what i mean yeah. like you're saying about us us marines the training you break everyone down everyone's yeah. fucking equal doesn't yeah. matter how much your parents got in the bank account doesn't yeah. matter what your background is, and then and then you see who the the the, the men are and the boys are. You know what I mean. And also, there's another thing that you can. The only thing I thought anybody took it easy on me was my mom used to send me care packages that had a lot of good food in it and stuff. And they opened up your care packages, and, they, and I remember getting called in the drill instructor's office at like midnight or something. And they're all fucking eating. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, your mom just sent this amazing stuff, and I was like. You know, you can't to the DIs. Yeah, but they they get my package. They open it up. They start eating it. <laughs> and they're like, "Yo, Morgan, you know, can, can you just write your mother and tell her to send more stuff?" I was like, "Yeah, I guess I could do that." And I'm th I'm a New Yorker. I'm like, "What do I get out of this uh, senior drill instructor?" He was just like, "You don't get your head cracked in." I was like, "Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> then we'll keep writing them letters to mom." But it, it was kind of interesting because it's true in the respect that you go through a lot of your life in in this kind of bubble of entitlement, like. Yeah, no one's gonna no one's gonna kick the shit out of me on a regular basis. Uh, you know, they're police that would would stop a crime. They're firemen that put out fires. There's all these you know these societal you know infrastructure items that take care of our lives. But then you get to a certain extent where it's just all you. It's just on you, and that sense of responsibility was, I think, the most important thing I got out of that. I mean, it was to be responsible for yourself and have self-discipline and all the things that I didn't think I even knew what they meant before I got in the service. Those things have helped me through my life immeasurably, man. Even just being aware of the impact that your actions can have on other yeah. people. Mm -hmm. I mean, you taught it in the military, in extreme case, your actions in a battle can have, have impact, the impact they can on other people. But that lesson carries on. Oh yeah. And for me, it did anyway, or it does. And it's the littlest things I do when I'm interacting with other people. The massive effect that can have on people, mm -hmm. negative or positive, which it's just yeah. one of those. Everything you do matters. Every single thing you do matters. Doesn't mean I'm perfect, mind. I'm far from it. Oh, no, no. The, the, the thing is, if you have an idea that's greater than yourself, that's a great thing to have. If you, if you, the idea of yourself 
is always, you're always trying to get yourself to a certain point. You'll never get there, obviously. You can't reach perfection. We're humans, right? But if you have an idea that's, you know, got social responsibility woven into it and, and self-discipline, it can't be a bad thing, I don't think. You know, and I, I, that's why I think a lot of the guys, there's a whole generation of guys that have been in Afghanistan and in Iraq, both of our countries, that are now coming out of the service with these traits that, I guess, historically have been part of our society. But lately, since the Internet fucked everybody up, that wasn't a priority. People weren't trying to be socially responsible and weren't taking responsibility for their own actions. But you see a lot of that coming back in. Even with politics, you see like a couple guys. There's a, isn't there a guy, Mercer or something like that? He was on the podcast, Johnny Mercer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now he, he's, Good guy, mate. Yeah, right? And Unless I, you're going to talk shit about him. No, 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 I'm not. No, <laughs> quite opposite, right? You know, I think, you know, I think that's, there was a book, Starship Troopers, right? And one you know that crazy I've seen one? the film. All right, the film's fucking stupid. Are they it? not U.S. Marines in the film? Space Marines and some shit, right? I, All I, the same thing, right? <laughs> yo, aliens had the Space Marines too. Now we got Space Force oh, over yeah, in America. Yeah, it could, space Force, it could right. take it up to the next notch. I mean, what was that? We uh, should get back in. Yeah, <laughs> for space. I mean, I don't have to carry shit. It's it's light, right? You know, zero gravity. I can carry that pack again. But there was a there was an idea in the book. I'm, I'm freaking who? I'm, I'm forgetting who wrote it. it. Wasn't Philip Dick, man? But the guy who wrote it had this idea that in the in the in the movie, remember that guy who was the who was the instructor and he was like the combat vet, he had the big yeah, scar across yeah, his face. Yeah, yeah. The idea is he was the only one that could vote because he actually had a I don't know what I'm saying combat action room, but he actually served in combat for his world at that point. So if you do that, then you can vote. Uh, Up until then you have no skin in the game, right? You're just you're just a bystander. You're just a, a civilian. But the fact that the idea behind that was the people that actually put their dicks on the line for the society should be the people that decide which direction that society goes in, right? And that's a, a kind of a weird idea. But when the guy wrote the book, it didn't seem like it was that far an idea. And this must have been like the 60s when he wrote it. So I think a lot of times, you know, Star Trek uses metaphors. I think that's what this guy did in his book. So the bugs were essentially the, the godless communists or whatever, <laughs> whatever he decided to page it, right? But it was an interesting concept that I remember reading that book as a young person and going, well, why does that guy get the vote and everybody else? And then it kind of dawns on you as you get older and things start, you know, really dropping into place like a Jenga or whatever, right? And you go, of course, yeah. I mean, the, if, you have, if you haven't really sacrificed for your society, you're kind of really not, you're not at liberty to decide which way it goes. You know, I mean, you see a lot of stuff with Brexit and I try to stay out of the politics and stuff, right? Good luck with that. Yeah, man, but you see a lot of young people or like, yo, that's completely fucking crazy, right? Why would they do that? And then you see the older generation who they say those are the people who voted for Brexit. Well, they have they have a perspective that young people don't. It's called years on the block. And that's what we say in New York. How many years you got on the block? And if you have years on the block, that means you have experience and you have wisdom. Now, I'm not saying that they were wise to do it or unwise. I'm just saying that once a society starts starts treating the other side as less than human or less than well, we were talking about empathy before. If you if you lack empathy at that point, everything just goes completely to the poles. And that's kind of what we got going on now. And, you know, those the, the people who are in the Extinction Rebellion, I mean, I'm all for it. I got young kids. I want the planet to be better. You know, I was the generation that started recycling and all that kind of stuff. You know, we used to use glass bottles and shit like that back in my day. So I understand that that's a big thing for, for our next generation. But things get co-opted, you know, and then people with their own agenda, you know, want to do things that, can fall under that umbrella, and that's where you get a lot of time. Mm.
Mm. But uh, I maybe I mean people might be coming at you after hearing me talk about this Starship Troopers thing. Go, Huey's out of his mind. Yeah, I am fucking out of my mind. I've never said I wasn't. I just play music, man. You know, I I don't think I'm the most stable person I know. I don't think I ever will be, and I think that's a good thing. I think I like being a little bit a little bit rattly, like an old car. But it's a nice old car. But it's still a little bit rattly. Not everything fits together perfectly anymore. But that's. That's getting older, too. When you're younger, you're very confident how things fit together because your body fits together perfectly and your mind is kind of still young and learning, so it's still together. The older you get, the more things get more complicated. and There's more gray. There's less black and less white. So that's what I think I am now. So well, why, why <coughs> Define stable, though. Well, yeah, why, I mean... Why, why be stable, man? Do you know what? One of the things I thought... Uh, uh, I thought of it last year. It popped into my head, right? And it's a... <coughs> So it just popped in my head when you were talking about the, your lack of stability here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think anybody who wore uniforms got a little something to say about imagine that. Imagine everything was the same, man. How crap would life be? Man, it'd be like a film where you know, everyone's a robot and just yeah. doing the same shit. Man. Mm -hmm. It'd be like the worst example of humanity ever. Yeah. Right? You need variation. And absolutely, the most brilliant the most brilliant people in the world are, they, they've, there's, a, there's a streak to them, right? There's mm -hmm. a wild streak to them. Be them fighters, be them musicians, be mm -hmm. them flipping politicians be them whatever right <laughs> yeah i mean look at trump <laughs> yeah. mental yeah mental but you like, know there is brilliance in yeah. there somewhere right he's just not putting it to the correct use yeah, man. Right? I, I, some you know because i'm american right a lot of people say oh, tell me about this donald trump guy like i fucking know him because i'm from the same city as him right but i kind of think i do because when i was growing up he was everywhere but the one thing that i i don't see that a lot of other people see is this overt racist type of thing i mean I, you know, oh, with went, him, with him, yeah. Because when I was growing up, he was getting like the NAACP award. He was hanging out with all the. What's the NAACP? It's the National Association of the Advancement of Colored People in America. It's a, it's a, a, a I'd say it's a Black American kind of uh, organization that helps the advancement of Black Americans. And he got the Rosa Parks Award a couple times. And before he was president, he was like one of the most quoted names in hip hop. I mean, everybody loved him. But the problem is. Perception, right? We're talking about perception. This guy gets what's, asked. What, what's the what, sorry? Well, my, my, my idea is like when people ask me about, him, I'm like, what do you think? And I was like, well, I know what I know about him, but I don't know the man's heart. But I also know that when I get on a plane, I root for the pilot. You know, I want that plane. <laughs> to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I don't have to know what's in the pilot's heart to root for the pilot to land the plane. Well, this is then. There's two things in there. It's, mm. it's a media problem. It's a politician's problem. Yeah. Our perception of what's going on in the world is down to the media, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. and and the media's. And the, and the way the media, um, uh, I'm I'm conscious he worked for the BBC, and the way the so media, so my bro, <laughs> so my shit, and the way the media painfully conscious sometimes, and, yeah. the, and the way the media, um, my opinion, uh, convey things to the public. It all depends on which side of the fence they're aligned with and how politicians themselves are presenting the information. Mm -hmm. Let's go back. I mean, look, Trump, Trump's uh, no. Let's go back to Brexit. Mm -hmm. You were mentioning there about. Uh, about um, the perception mm -hmm. that the majority of people who voted for Brexit were the older generation, the mm -hmm. majority uh, in the, the in the sticks too, old generation living on farms and little villages going. We the majority don't of people those, who voted for Remain yeah. were the younger generation. That's fucking incorrect. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, like, it's it's how you present data. Mm -hmm. it's, it's incorrect, right? So the majority of people who voted, let's ignore which side they voted for. Mm -hmm. The majority of people who voted were the old generation. Yeah. No, young kids don't fucking vote. <laughs> That's like the true, like if right? you looked at the, the scale of ages, it'll be like 25, 26, 27, and up. Mm -hmm. And that's the majority of people who voted. But you could say that between the ages of 18 
and let's say 25, the majority of those people, even though they're the minority of people who voted, the majority yeah. of those people voted for, for Remain. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean the majority of pe- young people voted for Remain. It doesn't. It, it's just fucking mental. It is. It breaks crazy. me. It breaks me. Mm-hmm. Um, what it really means is who's got a clue and what is really going on? Well, it's also this, there are two no medias, one. aren't there? I mean, you know, you, when I first came to England, I was in a taxi and I was talking to this guy. He was a black dude. And we were talking about newspapers and, and things like, I don't know how it got, oh, we were talking about red tops and blue tops. And I didn't know the difference. So he was telling me red tops are like the sun and the Starks. They have the red banner on the top. And the blue tops are like the, the Times and the Guardian, all that kind of thing. And he was saying, well, I remember my dad, we were talking about some stuff. And he goes, I remember my dad reading this very right-wing newspaper, right? And I, I remember his friends going, yo, why are you reading that? And he goes, well, I know what I think, but I want to know what they think, right? Which is kind of the idea behind this whole two medias, the perception and how things are very polarized. You want to know what other people think. And it's funny because a lot of people who are traditionally, I'm a New York liberal lefty guy, right? So I'm kind of confused how far things have gotten out of control on the left, right? And it's because those people live in this echo chamber and they don't see, they don't want to know what the other people think because they don't even think those other people are people. And the same thing goes for, I think, on a lot of, in America, it's very polarized. Now, I was there recently and it's just kooky, man. But you notice that the, some people who just don't want to know, they're never going to want to know. Right, so they're always going to be kind of stuck off in, on the on the the outer fringes, like skirting the map, and that's why I think the problem lies that, especially with like you know you look on social media and Twitter and stuff, it seems that that's like the worst people can act towards one another, right? Because when I first started on Twitter, I made a bunch of mistakes, man. I'm a dude who drinks white wine on an empty stomach and talks some shit, but on Twitter it just hits every, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you know, I, I also come from a generation that that was not how you converse with people. You didn't speak that way to people for, for lack of a better reason you might get slapped in the mouth right so i had to take a step back from that whole thing and be like this is not for me and like i have a twitter account but that's not me <laughs> you know that's somebody else doing that thing man and that's good because it's, it's just letting people know what i do because whenever whenever that kind of situation happens and people are just the worst they can possibly be to one another Nine times out of ten, it's happening on Twitter, right? It might happen on some other social network, but I think in a lot of ways, Twitter is one of the things that has fucked up this planet in the last ten years beyond that you could possibly think like a like a a, a fucking pathogen or a virus that could kill a, a bunch of people. Like if Ebola got released, I mean, we'd probably do less damage than what Twitter's done in the long term. I think one of the things that one of the things I've noticed with Twitter, interesting, you've been uh, one of the things I noticed with Twitter. So I I've been on and off it for years, never really on it for any mm-hmm. remember that movie do you remember Jay and Silent Bob those two dudes that made yeah. that movie right so they remember <laughs> that one time where they went around the movie are you uh, leg lover 65 yeah boom they punched the dude out because that's how I felt when people would diss me on Twitter I'm like I'm gonna find this motherfucker yeah but he, don't respond to it don't no, but, but, but I come from a different generation this is years ago when I first got on Twitter I was like how dare that motherfucker, right? And but now, obviously, I've learned to kind of you know, realize that it's just knuckleheads being in their mom's basement who don't know the touch of a woman getting really angry at me or something, you know. <laughs> it's not a bad thing either because yeah. when you get a hater come out on you, <laughs> it's kind like, of funny, you're gonna you get know? ten of your ten of your supporters come uh, out and give them shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I, I always like seeing people have little scraps on a keyboard. You know, I think yeah. that's kind of funny. It's interesting we mentioned about Twitter though. Mm-hmm. So Facebook used prolifically. Obviously, I actually now almost completely cut it out. Yeah. I, I monitor it mm-hmm. sort of, but. Well, Zuckerberg monitors it well. You know. Zuckerberg <laughs> monitors it, mate. Um, Instagram, mm-hmm. started using that really good. Mm-hmm. Twitter, started, I really like Twitter. However, in line with that, what you're saying, I cannot believe 
how much negative negative mm. it is. I and also that I I went into it and I I was like conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Right, really negative. No, positive, positive. Po- keep I keep keep I positive. Man, you <laughs> yeah. start going down a slope. It's yeah, like man. Jesus. Yeah. And I I caught myself a couple times writing some negative. And I'm just writing just just slating people, yeah. not slating people. Don't just argue with, Don't argue with the fool. Because, They'll drag you down your level, their level, man. It's yeah. it's something about the nature of that medium, the restriction in characters, the mm. way you communicate. It draws negativity. It's well, it's unbelievable. Also lack of nuance. Uh, the anonymity of it. It's like the way human beings over the last you know fifty thousand years have learned to communicate. That shit threw out the window in 10 years. Like, we used to actually look each other in the eye when we spoke to one another. We'd have respect for people because I don't know what kind of life you live in if I meet you on the street. The thing is, those kind of niceties, those those social graces, if you want to go that far and call that, are just, it's not part of our society anymore. And it's, it's really strange. Like, I don't, I don't think, I don't mean, I don't have Twitter on my phone. I don't have Instagram on my phone. I don't have any of that shit on my phone because I'll, I'll end up, like getting getting something going, oh, you know, I'm doing this really cool radio show about this tomorrow. Boom, boom, boom. Someone's like, fuck you and your fucking radio show and fuck that. And you're just like, yo, what the, well, yeah, it's just one guy. Then another guy, fuck him, he's right, fuck. And you're just like, who are these people, man? Like, are you waiting on the edge to get, you know, with a hair trigger ready to just go off on anything that you don't, Ricky Gervais said, it, I think best. He goes, all right, so it's like going, he's amazing. He, I did a podcast with him. And he did fucked, you? you? should get him his on. His podcast. He, no, I did. I had a podcast for a little while. And then I just, I, I got to the point where I was just talking to like Big Phil Campion and stuff like that. And people were like, you know, Huey, man, you out there with these crazy military motherfuckers. It's crazy. I was like, well, that's what I'm interested in. They're like, no one else is, bro. <laughs> anyway, so I had <laughs> Ricky Gervais on, but he was funny. But he said something in his recent comedy thing that I think is hilarious. It's like you go to a mall and you put up guitar lessons and you put the numbers right there. Twitter is like someone going, I don't want any fucking guitar lessons calling you up. I don't want any fucking guitar lessons. And you're like, well, you could have just not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's it, it's this weird kind of like, you know, idea of how to navigate in the world. It's just, it's not, it's not, it's not coherent to me. I just don't get it. Yeah, bullshit. You see that? There's a thing going around on, on oh man, was it Instagram today? I don't know. Well, I got in something. trouble on Instagram the other day. I w- I'm a BMX rider. I ride bikes all the fucking time. Me and my son, BMX till I die, right? I, I, you know those dudes who wear the helmets and the, and, the, and the tight clothes that do the Tour de France shit that aren't in the Tour de France? Yeah, those guys, right? So they get really upset, <laughs> right? <laughs> they get really upset if you diss that whole cycling shit at all, right? I know people don't know that I BMX. Well, they might. I don't know. I put it in videos and shit. I my, one of my best friends who's my radio producer, he bikes all the time. So I thought it was funny. Like these dudes are pointing out like, hey, let's go ride in the middle of the road like assholes, right? And the guy's pointing, yo, people came out of woodwork telling me, yo, fuck you, Huey. We're not listening to any anything you do anymore. It's like, wow, dude, you don't even you, it's just like people are ready to just assume the worst of somebody because they're conditioned to expect the worst out of everybody. And everyone looks at if you got a different, it was thing. a fucking joke, <laughs> right? right, right. right. And I, I made fun of the cure, which apparently is a bad thing to do too. And all the goths just came at me, bro. They're like, yo, why, fuck why, you. Why did you make fun of the cure? I saw a picture of Robert Smith, right? And I like the cure. I'm not against the cure, but it was fucking funny. And it said, <laughs> the cure? Question mark. 
something like, you know, a disease like, like the, if that's the cure, the disease is probably better. Whatever it was, some kind of play on the name of the band, right? <laughs> it's a fucking joke. It's like 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, all right, boing. And then like, yo, every goth in the world has got that big fucking, you know, black Maltese falcon chip on their shoulder. We're like, get him. And they just, <laughs> they just came out of the woodwork. And I was like, wow, I made every goth in the world really angry for like 10 seconds. But the, I realized that God's angry anyway. So all I did was just come on their radar for a second. But it was just hilarious how everybody is just so willing to think the worst of you. Like people are like, oh, Huey, you're a fucking horrible human being for making fun of Robert Smith. I was like, well, first of all, it's a joke. Second of all, I didn't make fun of him. I just saw this picture that looked kind of funny, and I put it up there. And third of all, fuck you. <laughs> you know. And that's kind of how I have to look at social media right now. I can't really... I think shit's funny, but some people might not because they don't have my life experience. They don't. They didn't live my life. They lived their own life. So yeah, I have. I have a inner. I have a inner beast in my head. <clears throat> if I say so, so sometimes I'll do inappropriate jokes at the wrong times. <laughs> I say sometimes. I say well, regularly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, me, too, me too. I've had some right dramas, but then and I'll sometimes I'll do it online or, or whatever. And in my head, <clears throat> if there's a bit of neg- negative feedback in my head, it'll be fuck. Off. <laughs> in my head, I'm in their face going, fuck yeah, yeah, off. Yeah. Every right to be offended. Be offended, it's fine. But yeah. Jesus Christ, if you're offended, fuck off somewhere else. Well, but isn't everybody offended about something? It, it's it's it, crazy. It, it, on the, on the social crazy. networks. I mean, if you see people in real life, people in real life are completely different than that. I mean, probably the people who are assholes on the social networks are really really timid in real life and probably don't get to tell people to, that they're horrible human beings because they can't bring themselves to look another person in the eye and, and do all that shit so behind the keyboard warrior shit well this is an interesting point here's, here's, a, here's a consideration <clears throat> so the way social media is is that you know you, you, <clears throat> or the way well, isn't, gonna... well I'll tell you I don't mean to interrupt you but I am <laughs> but, but don't you think and I find this like Facebook and the Twitter stuff between veterans is a lot more civil even if they disagree, like, you know, dudes on Instagram put up some, like, picture of a Navy SEAL with his face all done out, and he's got, like, a, a, a some kind of patch, and they're like, that's not a real Navy SEAL patch, and they just go back and forth, but they don't call each other cocksuckers, you know, they're just, they're not, they're not going, oh, you fucking cocksucker, they're kind of like, hey, no, actually, that's not, in 2004, this unit was wearing that patch, and it's kind of nerdy, but it's respectful to a certain degree, and I'm like, well, see, there's motherfuckers who have a little bit of, can't they, they, they can, they can communicate with each other without being nasty to each other. Mm-hmm. I see that with veterans because I think, you know, there's there's something in common with people who had to, because we had to live with people that we didn't like, right? We had to learn to live and thrive with people we didn't know and didn't like and this some people thing, we right? did like, you know? It's tolerance. <clears throat> but it's, yeah. right, so there's an interesting word, tolerance, mm-hmm. especially in recent times. So be tolerant of, of other cultures. and you know, Well, no, it's not. <clears throat> tolerance is a two-way thing mm-hmm. or a three-way thing or a four-way thing or yeah. a kind of 30-man thing or whatever yeah. tune you're in. And it goes... And it's not about um, completely being. It's not about completely being accepting of what the other people, the other person. Let's say just you and your oppo. Say you mm-hmm. and another. Uh, what's your nickname for U.S. Marines? Leathernecks. Yeah, Leathernecks. Uh, Devil Dogs. That was a big one. Devil. Devil yeah. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. When we were fighting the French in World War One, or fighting with the French, obviously yeah, the Germans were like, these guys fight like dogs from the devil. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. alley, mate. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty, yeah. 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 Uh, what was I saying? <laughs> you were saying uh, uh, about how... Oh, yeah, it's not about, like, to- uh, 100% tolerating what the other person or other people do. It's about... It's it's about learning to cope with what they do. Yeah, yeah. 
but again, they're both best the relationship of both, and it's a true way thing because the other person's doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're completely different. That's how the opportunities get by. One of the things that I realised when you were talking about US Marines, and one of the things that's uh, particular to the the parachute regiment mm-hmm. and some other units within the British forces is that we don't have a catchment area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's common to other units in America, only in, in the states, uh, but like here, you have like. Uh, the Duke of Lanx regiment. Yeah. Well, you do if it's if you're in uh, a reserve unit, because then you'd have that town and that area would have its own reserve unit. Right. So like a state uh, yeah, national yeah, yeah. guard kind of thing. So you you have like Duke of Lanx yeah. a regiment for, mm-hmm. as an example. Sorry, any Duke of Lanx listening, but as an example, so the majority of those people are from, funny enough, Lancashire area. Yeah, yeah. And so inevitably, what you get is a lot of people with very very similar views mm-hmm. from political to. You know what's uh, yeah, what's acceptable treatment of a woman. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> yeah. I'm, no, I, everything's, it, I'm but, not insinuating yeah. people like shit. You, you know what I'm saying, yeah. right? And and uh, but with units that have with with units that have no catchment area, mm-hmm. they are, they benefit from a huge amount of variety of cultures, mm-hmm. backgrounds, and. Well, that's kind of how we are. I mean, the Marines, it's like either on the East Coast and then you go to Paris Island. If you're kind of west of Chicago, you probably go to San Diego. But with that, there's no kind of like, you know, catchment area. So I was with guys that I I had zero in common with. But after three months on Paris Island, you got everything in common with them. You know, you, you, you become brothers despite the fact that you're completely different. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah. mate, the most, the most, the most capable teams in the world, whether it's in a company, whether it's in a charity, whether it's a sports team, they have a, a broad range of backgrounds, mm-hmm. broad range of skills. Mm-hmm. If everyone's got the same fucking skill, you can achieve one thing really well, but you don't achieve the aim. Yeah, more know? brains, more results. That's what I always thought. Yeah, exactly. Tell me how you got into right, fun-loving criminals. That, how that, did we? Did you, did you start that? What, where did that come from? Well, I, I played guitar when I was a kid. I apologize if you told this story many times before. No, 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 it's cool. I, I'll, I'll do an abbreviated, abridged version. I played guitar when I was a kid. I enlisted, and then I was down south, and I played rock and roll and blues and stuff growing up. And then I learned about country music and a little bit more jazz stuff. So I would have the guitar around, uh, you know, in the barracks and stuff, and where if we get gone, I'd bring a guitar. And it was cool because a lot of other people play guitar. So I'd learn from all these other dudes how to play different styles of guitar. And if you listen to Fun Loving Criminals music, it could be whatever the song demands. It could be jazz. It could be rock. It could be hip-hop. It could be funk. Anything, really, right? So that's one of the things I think that made me uh, really think that the Fun Loving Criminals could do something. I mean, also, when I got out of the Marines, I didn't want to wake up early ever again, right? So I got a job at the Palladium Nightclub in New York City, right? I walked in off the street. And I was that's a big, that's yeah, a, it was a famous nightclub. Yeah, yeah, and it was owned by these, this one guy, and he owned the the Limelight, the Palladium, and uh, the Tunnel, right? So these three nightclubs, right? So I go walk off the street, and you know, I'm talking to some cute girl who's the receptionist. She's like, you know, fill out this thing. What have you been doing for the last couple? Years? I was out in the Marines. She's like. All right, wait here. She went and got like the manager of the club. He comes down. He's like, yo, fuck, man, what are you doing? I was like, look, I just need a job. And he's like, well, you start tonight, right? So I started working at this nightclub as a busboy picking up cups and shit. The first night when I was working, it was Parliament Funkadelic. Just like imagine Parliament Funkadelic. I'd, I hadn't been stoned in seven years. <laughs> and I'm smoking weed, watching Parliament Funkadelic play. Going, my goodness, the world has turned for me. So... <laughs> From then on out, I kind of wanted to do something music, right? Because I thought that I wanted to, I thought that that's what I, I could offer, right? You know, I, I I was a good Marine, but I thought that I had a little bit more 
creatively to offer the world, right? So it wasn't anything lofty. I didn't think I wanted to be, you know, a Grammy Award-winning musician or anything like that. I just wanted to kind of do something I felt good in my heart doing. And if I could do that and make a little money, pay the rent, that's cool, right? So then I started this band. And I was working at a nightclub, and the guy Fast, who's still in the band with me, my, my brother, my partner, he was like the receptionist. and oh, the Palladium. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Limelight, please hold, you know, whatever it was, you know. And he had a really funny job because he was the receptionist, and they used to have a hip-hop night at the tunnel, right? And that place was fucking crazy. It was on the West Side Highway. It was nuts, right? All the hip-hop dudes would roll in there. I'd just speak Spanish the whole time. I was bartending by then. I'd be like, ¿Qué pasa? They wouldn't even want to speak English to these dudes, right? And everybody had guns, everybody, right? So one of the funniest things is there was a clap, clap, clap outside because there was always a clap, clap, clap outside. All the security guys would run in and be like, "Yo, fast!" And he'd hold his shirt out like this, and they just start dropping pistols into his shirt. Nah. And he'd have like third, thirteen pistols. Like, <laughs> okay, hide those because the cops would roll in at that point, so he'd have to kind of walk into the back room and just stay in the back room until the, the cops left. So crazy days, man. Yeah. And then, all right, so anyway, so then he and yeah. I started. We started. We became roommates. We, a friend of ours, uh, mutual friend, introduced us. We became roommates. He was in a band doing uh, a band called Moses on Acid, which is a great name for a band, right? Uh But it was like electro disco stuff. It was like hip-hop beats sped up, right? And one of the things I noticed when he was programming some stuff, he was using like hip-hop beats, but then he'd go boom, 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 and like kind of turn the the tempo up. And I was like, yo, 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 he's back, Flock of Seagulls. Let's get this thing. (laughs) You know, know, Pulp Fiction, man. I'm like, yo, and he had that kind of hair too at the time. So I was like, he's back, Flock of Seagulls. And... We kind of slowed the beats down. I was like, have you ever heard of Van Halen? And so I started playing like guitar stuff. And we started mixing like, you know, that kind of like classic rock with hip hop beats. And then also, you know, the idea of sampling at that point, we were really into movies. So we were using like the, the Pulp Fiction samples and the Reservoir Dog samples. Why did you, right, I know you fucking 100% been asked this before, but tell me, why did you use the Pulp Fiction sample? The idea of the song was a drug-induced bank robbery. And in our minds, we were watching a lot of the Reservoir Dogs movies and, and Pulp Fiction, and we figured if we were going to try to, if we were trying to tell a joke, we want people to understand the framework of that joke. So if you can try to tell a story, you want people in on the basic idea. So we thought if we use the samples that everybody knows and if they immediately go, oh, it's like a fucking Tarantino movie but a song, you know, <laughs> it, it seemed like it worked, right? The funny thing is we sampled Tarantino and he's like, uh, you know, you got to give me some of this. Or his lawyer said, you got to give me some of the, the, the music publishing. And we were like, all right. But Quentin had to actually start a production company to get our money. And like to this day, we're still boys. And he actually, he made some good money off me. And I, I think it's kind of funny because it was one of those things he's like, why did you sample my movies? And we were like, dude, because your movies are fucking great. And <laughs> it, it let us all in on that kind of film noir music thing. I mean, it was, we always use a lot of film ideas for the music right and i think that just comes with you know watching movies and things like that and being a big movie fan so i think that's how the fun of a criminal started in new york and we didn't we weren't looking for a record deal we were just dicking around we made a cassette tape and we gave it to a dj who worked at the limelight to play because he it's like you guys got any of that crazy ass music and made a cassette and then he gave that cassette to somebody at emi because he was a scout but we didn't know that and then a like a year and a half later after playing at the club maybe five or six times and people would cancel, like an opening band would cancel. They was like, all right, guys, go get your shit. Punch out. <laughs> so you're not getting paid. Punch out. Go get your guitars. Come back, do the show, and then punch back in and finish the night. So we were opening up for like... Fuck yeah. We opened up for Corn. Uh, we opened up for the Sugar Hill Gang, Run DMC. I mean, we were just out So there. you'd be like on the door, mm-hmm. 
on eight at the bar, at like the bar. the bar, putting ice and putting the juices in the collecting thing, collecting empty glasses. Yeah, and they're like, and dude, go, dude yeah. like, band cancelled. You got get, ten minutes. Band cancelled. Yeah. Get your kit, and mm-hmm. then after you've done the set, you're back yeah. in collecting yeah. glasses. And they didn't have to pay us either. Yeah, <laughs> so that was how we did that. So over the like six gigs, over like a year and a half, this this friend of ours who was a DJ was kicking it to this guy Mike Schnapp, who ended up signing us to EMI, and it was just really trippy because we we didn't think what we were doing was commercially viable at all and we still don't but you know 10 million records later this guy mike schnapp knew that he's because he he was a real rock dude he uh he was one of the dudes that was helping ozzy osbourne when he first got back out of uh, oh, okay. when when sharon busted him out and he did blizzard of oz and all that all the crazy train shit yeah. and he he was one of the guys that signed pearl jam i mean this dude knew his shit and the record company that we were at emi he was the head head A and R guy, vice president of A and R. So he kind of had a lot of sway. So that's how we got our deal. We got an eight record deal. And we ended up producing our own music as well. So it was crazy. And that was times when, you know, you get two fifty a record, right? Two pound, two dollars fifty cents a record. And the records were like sixteen bucks, right? The CDs or whatever at the time. It's dog shit these days, though. You know, you, you I don't know how people make money doing it, man. Crazy. It, it, well, that's why you get a bunch of B type personalities making music now. It's because it's not, it's not the. It's not the pinnacle anymore of creative endeavors, you know. The the, <clears throat> the way you make money these days is, I would argue, the best way you make money these days is is a social media presence. Yeah, I nick phones. I, I nick phones from people. You, you, like all the people I'm walk what? down. I, I nick phones. Steal phones. Yeah, yeah. Nick people, phones. Yeah, you see like the tourists walking through like this. You just go snatch. That's that new iPhone. Snatch. That's the New Yorker coming out. Yeah, you grab ten of them. That's like six grand. <laughs> Think about it, bro. Well, I, uh, <laughs> I'm playing, by the way. No, it's like ten grand. You didn't use well, nine grand. Didn't not everybody's got my phone. <laughs> <laughs> my phone's in my fucking pocket. I don't pull that right, shit out in the okay, street. Well. Question for you. Yeah. Uh, going back, would you? No, not going back. No. If you're, you, you got a boy. Yeah, I got a so, boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Okay, yeah. cool. Would if either of them want to join the military? Well, what do you reckon? Uh I know. I struggle with this question as well. It, it's interesting. Because the reason I join the Marines wouldn't be the reason my son or my daughter would join the Marines. Do you know what unit your dad was? Huh? Do you know what unit your dad was? He was in 2nd Marine Division. I know that he... Oh, was a Marine as well? Yeah. Okay. He was, and I know that he was uh, initially in 0311 and then started doing some reconnaissance stuff. So, I mean, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And from what my mom tells me, it wasn't he wasn't that great when he came back the first time and he went back a couple more times, so... Yeah, it, no, but it, it you know, here, right? but I mean, I don't know. Do you come from a military family? Or are you the first one? First. Yeah. So when you come from a military family, I guess it's a little bit different. But remember, I didn't have any any contact with my dad. I didn't even know him, right? So I was just kind of looking at this this fictitious kind of monolith of, a, and just trying to try to emulate or better that in my own mind. So I don't know if if my kids wanted to they probably would have a good reason because wanted to aspire to something you don't know what the, what the aspiration what the the the, the, the target is right mm-hmm. yeah okay but i mean you you got kids too right yeah i got two girls two girls all right so you probably just being around them has let them know what it's like to be in the service i mean just because the way your personality is different the way your social responsibility level is a little bit higher. I see what you do. You know, you do good things. These 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 kids of yours are really going to see a dad and, and respect you and love you for that and the things that you do. So I think that might, it might, like I said before, their reasons for joining, if they were to join, would be very different from ours. You know, mm-hmm. they'd be, you know, like, very different, I think. Especially nowadays, it's, it seems like, I don't know what a, a conventional army or 
military would be in the next 20 or 30 years, right? It's going to be a bunch of those fucking robots running around with, you know, lightsabers or some shit. Fucking Boston Dynamics. Oh Boston Dynamics. I you watch this, that? You wanna, yeah, if, you want, if you want nightmares at night. The thing that spins around, does it, I was like, all you got to do is give it a fucking samurai sword and we're all dead, bro. Or yeah. the two ones that, that kind of like open the door for each other. Do you listen to the Joe Rogan podcast? Yeah, yeah. yeah I like Mate, him, yeah. have you heard him talking about, was it him talking about it, where they've developed, a, it wasn't him, but they developed a robot and this robot survives on biofuel. And you go, right, what do you mean biofuel? Right, well, it can feed off the enemy dead, and that's what powers it. Hang on a minute. Hang on, let's just peel it. That's the end of the human race. That's, that's fucking Terminator, right? That's that race. old shit, man. We got to go back <laughs> in time and clip that dude who invented that shit. It kills you and eats you and then cracks on. No battery pack, no battery <laughs> charger, mate. You remember, didn't Elon Musk say that that's what's gonna, it's going to kill us, all these fucking robots and the AI? And everybody yeah. thinks he's a smart cat, so... Yeah, he's also bonkers. I mean, the thing is, people get confused between AI and AGI, right? Yeah, and, uh, I am too. I, I artificial intelligence. You're learns, confused. Yeah, well, I don't know what AGI is. What's AGI? What's the difference between the two? So AI is uh, artificial intelligence is where uh, it's, it's learning, but you got you got to feed it information. Yeah. So you got to give it the tool. You got to give it a, a certain set of. Fuck, I'm I'm probably talking shit here, but got to give it a certain set of information, and then it takes that information and, and makes a deduction from it. Okay, and then. Depending on the outcome of the de- depending on the outcome of whatever action it takes, it then learns from the action. And goes, oh, if I do that and that happens, then and it can predict the next movement. Oh, okay, that's AI. AGI is AGI is uh, is minimal input and me looking at that board over there mm-hmm. and going, okay, so there's a podcast going on now and two people are talking at a microphone and there's cables there and it says on it pre-sonus mm-hmm. and pre-sonus is a is um, uh, obviously an audio uh, hardware company and one of them says uh, mic in and one of them says uh, monitor out and okay so I can induce that it, it's that understanding so it doesn't need it's to be programmed your, it fucking learns it, that's age that's, it's basically that's what we are that's what we do man you know I, I, we look at I look at that so I look at that black thing now mm-hmm. and, and I go okay what is that well it's got a, it's going to be a it's going to be a... It'll take in the consideration in a recording studio. Yeah. It's probably something having to do with sound, right? So it'll deduce all that kind of shit. The temperature's warm in here. That's like the end. It looks like it blows out air, so it must be a cooling cooling unit, right? That's AGI. We're all it's, fucked, it's man. Maybe we're we fucked, should get our kids in the fucking military, man. <laughs> Honest to God. Yeah, you see things like that, right? And you see, like, their advancements in, in militaries every, you know every 20 or 30 years. I mean, we're still flying those F-15s that are like from when I was a kid, right? But the, I guess the, the, the exponential growth of, of computer science and all that stuff, we, I mean, back in the day, you know, the, the phones that we have, you know, the, the computer power they use to land on the moon is like one quarter of what's in some of the shittiest phones, right? So imagine how these things are going to be in the next 20 years. I mean, it's kind of scary for guys our age. I mean, I'm 51, right? So I'm thinking, shit, in yeah. My, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking in my lifetime. I mean, I look at. I still look at my iPad on my iPhone. And be like, this is fucking great. You know, I'm still that guy, right? <laughs> I'm still that dude because I remember the fucking black and white TV, man. I remember. I have a picture my mom sends me every once in a while. Like, well, they just had the moon landing anniversary. Me sitting in front of a black and white TV with Neil Armstrong holding up the flag or some shit. That's me, right? So I'm thinking anything that's not made out of a tube is pretty amazing, right? Yeah, pretty cool, man. 
But kids, you see how young kids, they just look at it as a tool. My kid knows the four-finger program swipe on an iPod. I'm like, how? Yeah, yeah. Because that's just how you do shit. It's, they, the novelty of it is gone, right? For them, there is no novelty to it. It's as, it's as, uh, as utilitarian as a toothbrush. It's they just that's how you do shit. Give your kids a Nokia 3210 with the buttons. <laughs> they don't know how to work okay. it. They don't know how to work it. <laughs> yeah. They've got no idea. Got no idea. But I mean, going back, I, I've sort of, <clears throat> I've gone... I've gone through a divorce, and so and, and that, and similar and similarly with my military service, it's sort of it's really had a massive impact in the way I think. I used to be really dis- disciplinarian mm-hmm. in those different ways, and now I'm, especially with the kids, I want to go to college, university, bang, 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 bang. Mm-hmm. and now I'm like, through my own realization, it's it's like w- one of the things I realize is you were best at what you were good at. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, rephrase that. You were best at what you in joy yeah, yeah so now my meet the kids is you want to you know you want to you want to do religious education for a gtse i'm gonna i'm gonna you know put my hair my hands but yeah you crack if that's what you enjoy mm-hmm. you crack on yeah because at the end of the day i just want my <coughs> Not kids, to, my be kids happy. Do that. well i'm just saying <laughs> i just want my kids to be happy right I, the whole idea of going to school i mean i didn't go to college you know I, I came from very humble beginnings and i know my kids have a lot more advantages than i do right and i want them to utilize that but they're going to be who they are, right? I mean, it's just kind of how it is being a parent. You learn that as they get older. How old are your daughters? Uh, good, uh, good, good question. T- 10 and 14. Ooh, 14, huh, dude? Mm. Uh, my boy's eight, my girl's four. And I'm, I'm already getting these vibes. I'm like, oh, shit, there's going to be trouble in the house. Uh, <laughs> my eldest is 14, and she did not she did not fall off the ugly tree and hit every branch down. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah. yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. But I think having kids, I mean, it's also... I was talking to somebody about having kids the other day, and he doesn't have kids. And he was like, "What is what is it? What does it boil down to?" And I said, "Well, you realize that they will outlive you, so you're giving them enough common sense to take them into that next generation when you're not going to be around. That's why I guess being a parent is because common sense isn't that common, right? And you see a lot of people walking around with their heads in their ass. And in London right now, yeah, literally, literally right outside. Man. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't want people thinking that I'm against uh, the whole climate thing. We were talking about that on the way in. I just think that, you know, when you get a bunch of middle-class people with like, you know, $50,000, uh, you know, costumes doing stuff, it kind of takes the, it takes the authenticity of it away. And I think that's what people... Are, are kind of like wondering what the hell it's all about, you know? Well, it's the piggybackers, mate. Take the yeah. piss, drinking, yeah. leaving the shit everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The people are there. I understand the reason for Extinction Rebellion. Yeah. I absolutely understand it. I'm on board with climate yeah. climate shit. I am on board with it. But don't be a bad end. If you're going to go down there, support the cause and mm. don't be a dick about it. Uh, mate, we've got to start wrapping it up. All right, dude. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. We were just jabbing. jabbing. Wait, I apologize. Yeah. Sorry. Well, you did ask me want to plug something, right? Yeah, we're doing a new Fun Love and Criminal record, and like right now, I have a studio like this in my house, right? So I'm, yeah, I'm, be, you've only released one track online. Well, the, yeah, Fucking cocktails. Well, that was from yeah. What we're trying to do, right? We're trying to do it the right way. <laughs> what we're doing is we figure, like I told you, I'm 51. This could be. We we're thinking we're, the working title for the record is Our Asia. You know, Steely Dan put that record Asia out, which is arguably one of the best records ever recorded. We're not saying we're like Steely Dan. We're saying in our little fucking world, it would be nice to make our opus like Asia, right? So we're calling it Our Asia, and we're trying really hard to do it. And who knows when it's coming out? But more importantly, we're talking about doing what you love, right? Now, I always thought music was what kind of saved me from a lot of shit, right? And what I did recently is I went down to South America and I shot this documentary. It's in three pieces, and that's probably going to come out before the record. It's probably going to come out 
don't know, maybe right after the new year or into the into the end of the, the winter, right? And it's uh, Huey Morgan's Latin music. I went down to Brazil, broke my foot down there and uh, shit. you were ready, so I was messaging you. you yeah, were, yeah, 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 I had a great yeah, time yeah. down there. I went to Cuba, I went to Puerto Rico, and, you know, I broad-brushed a lot of Latin music because that's one of the things I really loved growing up. So hopefully people like music and they like the, the <clears> idea <throat> of learning something new. That'll be a kind of a cool thing. Plus, you get to see me walk around with a guayavera and a white hat, like, throughout Central America, and it's hilarious. Cool. You can you can follow me on on the social networks, but it's not like yeah, I'm not really there. But uh, you know, I guess the best thing to do is just you know kind of monitor you know what I do uh, professionally. Like I do the six music show and I do my radio two show. So if you listen to that, I'm definitely going to be talking. What about What time's the radio two show? Oh, it comes on Saturday mornings from four to six a.m. What about the uh, other one? The six music shows Saturday mornings at ten a.m. What are we doing today then? I was pre-recording the 4 a.m. show because, you know, I don't do that shit. Fucking stupid. But I don't think they could get engineers in there to listen to my crazy ass at 4 in the morning. (laughs) Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Dude, Huey, man. My man. Cheers, dude. Thank you, brother. That is it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please, if you're an iOS user, like you've got an iPhone, you've got an iPad, or use iTunes, please, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. I'd really appreciate it. And it also helps get the podcast out to more people. Bumps up the rankings and more people become aware of it. It comes up when they're suggested listens to list in their podcast apps. So do that, please. Thank you very much. Um, also, subscribe to us on YouTube. We're on YouTube. You can watch us. You can watch the podcast. You can watch me waffling with the guests and uh, not just listen to it. You can see the mannerisms, what we do with our hands and the faces we pull, um, which makes it all the more pleasurable. Thank you again to our sponsors, Westway Nissan, the UK's largest Nissan dealership. They have graced me with an electric Nissan Leaf courtesy car for the last three days, which I'm immensely happy with. I did not think I'd be happy with an electric car for three days. I did not think at all. In fact, I was dreading it. However, I'm saving about an average of 70% on my fuel costs. That's right. My fuel costs are like 30% of what they were before what I would normally do in the last, just in the three days. I do loads of miles. I do like I do like 2,000 miles a month. And I am saving tons of money. I'm knocking 70% off my fuel costs. That is flipping unbelievable. Um, really quiet, really responsive. I'm just really, it's a... Uh, it's surprising. It's rapid. It just looks like a normal car. Flipping rapid. Because it's an electric engine. You don't get any lag. When you put your pedal to the metal, it just kicks. just kicks in. Bang. You're gone. You don't have to worry about any mixing the fuel with air and getting into the cylinders and going bang. It just happens. It's, it's, it's like when you switch your light switch on, the light is instantly on. When you put your pedal, your foot on that pedal, as soon as you touch it, the power is instantly on. Flipping awesome. Uh, they also give, apart from giving... Nissan leaves out to people like me for uh, courtesy cars. They also um, provide up to 20%, 20% discount to serving personnel and veterans. So if you're looking for a vehicle, go to Westway Nissan. They don't just do purchase, they do lease hire as well. And they've got commercial type vehicles as well, not just private type vehicles, so vans and all sorts of stuff. Westway Nissan at Cody UK or Westway Nissan on social media. I know for a fact that if you tweet them, you'll get response. They're really good on social media. It's really nice actually to get... Um, a response from organizations like that. Be nice. Be nice about them. Say, oh, Hugh said nice things about you. And they'll say, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, he does it all the time. Yeah, we don't know who he is. He's some just some stalker we got. But tweet them, you get a reply back. 
Thank you, Westway. Also, a thank you again to Rugby for Heroes, rugbyforheroes.org, a not-for-profit organisation. They organise events to fundraise for military charities and causes. They've got a bunch of events coming up. The next one is on the 23rd of November, uh, an invitational rugby match. Uh, so veterans, military veterans versus old Levantonians veterans. Uh... Yeah, 23 November, kicking off at about 1pm. That's open to anyone. Rock up. Come and have a beer. I'll be there. Loads of the other podcast guests will be there. Loads of podcast fans will be there. It's going to be flipping awesome networking. Come along, have a beer, watch us all get injured, and uh, drink and be merry. And uh, families are welcome too. So see you there on the 23rd November. And that is it. Until next time, out.